Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be finishing the chapter today. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Allow me to read this passage. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that you'll open our hearts to these truths. To show us once again, Lord, that you are very serious about your word and your law. Lord, that you expect us to obey it. Lord, not just the letter of the law, but the heart and the spirit of the law as well. Lord, may we hear from you today. May we be obedient to your word. Thank you for your word, for your love for us, your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus has been going through a number of the what we call the Ten Commandment type laws, and he's been showing how the, the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of Judaism, had taken these laws and somewhat rewritten them. They had, quote, made them easier to follow and understand, but what they had really done is taken God's laws and turned them into man's laws and basically made them what they wanted them to be instead of what God expected them to be. But Jesus had said, not the tiniest letter nor the smallest little stroke of the pen was to be changed out of the law of God. But however, they had corrupted God's law. Uh, we look and we see that here's kind of the last one he's going to be dealing with as a reminder of how serious he and God are about his law. So we look and we see, first begins with, you have heard that it was said. And Jesus, every time he does uh, kind of a, a review of these laws, he pretty much says the same type of thing. And he, what comes after that, sometimes it's just a little bit different. Sometimes he is saying, here is the original law, and kind of an assumption of what the people already knew was the interpretation that was being given by the rabbis in the synagogues who were just following the lead of the scribes and the Pharisees. But here he actually shows the corruption of the law. So he says, what you have heard is this. What, where is it they've heard this? Well, they've heard it in the synagogues. The rabbis have been teaching this falsehood, this half-truth. And so he's saying, you've heard this, but here's the truth. Well, here's what you've been hearing. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what being taught in the synagogues. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, is that the law of God? Well, let's go back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You can turn there or make a note uh, 
uh, reference for that, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Let's see what the real law says. First, there's kind of a, what we dealt with last week. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. Now, here's the law. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the law of God. You shall lo love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let's go back to verse 43 of chapter 5 of Matthew. You shall love your neighbor. Hmm. Y'all notice anything different? You shall love your neighbor. Leviticus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the scribes and Pharisees conveniently omitted a couple of words, as yourself. Why do you think that they might take that part out? Well, you got to understand who these scribes and Pharisees are. They are the religious leaders of Judaism. And they think very highly of themselves. They crave the attention of men. They did not do anything to build up the worth of others. All they did was to, to look at themselves, to seek power and prestige and uh, the esteem of others. They were filled with self-love. In other words, they had no way of believing that they could possibly love anybody more than themselves. They could not look at the peasants, the common man, and say, I love you the same way I love myself. There's no way that that could happen because I love myself way more than I love you. And so they conveniently left out two words that God had put in His commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus did just the opposite. He, he lived a humble life. He loved all mankind. And He showed us as Christians, as followers of Christ, that we are to humble ourselves and to lift others up and to even see them as greater than we see ourselves. But now let's go back to what the scribes and Pharisees had the rabbis teaching in the synagogues. You shall love your neighbor, not as yourself, and you shall hate your enemy. Is that anywhere in God's law to hate your enemy? Well, they kind of finagled things around, and they said, well, let's take some passage of Scripture out of context and misquote it, and we'll make it sound like it's God's law. If you want to make another reference, go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgazites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. And here's where they take a little passage out of context and misquote it. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor towards them. That means that you're supposed to hate your enemy. That's what they're getting out of this passage. So what they're saying is, God hates these people and you should hate them too. Well, why did God hate these people? We got to go way back to the time of Abraham. Abraham came through this land and they opposed him and they were pagans 
and they did abominations unto that which was of God. And you got to remember that the Israelites ended up spending 400 years in Egypt. And when they left, God basically says the time was right for judgment against these nations. That their abomination had come fulfilled and it was time for his judgment against them. And he chose to use his people, the people of Israel, to go in and to take that land. Now here's what God knew. If, he, if the nation of Israel did not utterly destroy them, did not drive them out of the land, if they allowed them to remain, if they made covenants with them so that they could live among each other, what was going to happen? They would soon intermarry, and the relationships between them and these pagan nations would soon blend together, and guess what the Israelites would start doing? They would start worshiping the pagan gods and following after the pagan practices, which unfortunately in certain situations is exactly what happened. So God was warning the Israelites not to make covenants and to not show any favor toward, favoritism towards uh, these nations because these nations had been receiving the wrath of God. His judgment was coming upon these people. So there's a totally difference between God saying, separate yourselves from these people and hating them. Now, if there's any group of people that probably deserve to be hated, this list of nations probably was it. But God did not say hate them. He just simply said, do not make a covenant with them nor show favor towards them. And so he is not showing them to hate them, but to separate from them. And he knew that the warning needed to be given because of what would happen if they did make covenants with them. So we look at the scriptures and we can find proof texts all over the place that God wants us to show love towards our neighbors. There's a passage in Exodus chapter 23, verse 5, where if a man sees a donkey that has fallen under the load and that donkey belongs to someone who hates him, he's not just to walk by. He's supposed to help that donkey, take the load off, return the donkey to the man who hates him, and make sure that all that donkey was carrying is returned in good shape. In other words, show love and compassion even to those who hate you. Then we also see over in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Simple. There's a lot of people that hate us. There are a lot of people who are our enemies. But we're not supposed to gloat and boast and rejoice when bad things happen to them. We should have hearts of compassion towards those, even if they hate us. The New Testament is filled with passages of Scripture that uh, relate to what Jesus is about to say in verse 44. First part of verse 44, Jesus again says, But I say to you, instead of what the scribes and the Pharisees have said to you, and what the rabbis are teaching in the synagogue, here is what I say to you. And just like I've said over the past number of weeks, Jesus is speaking in his authoritative deity voice. He is speaking with the voice of God. I, God, say to you. This is the deity authority of what the truth means. He says, love your enemies. A whole lot of difference between hate your enemies and love your enemies, isn't it? Love your enemies. Whoever you may consider to be your enemies. 
we're commanded to love them instead of hating them. God is sharing with us the love of Christ to share with others. Now, if we go through life and all we do is show disdain and hate towards those who don't like us for whatever reason, what good is that? How are we ever going to be change agents that God wants us to be, to be used by God to present others with the gospel of Christ, to live out the gospel of Christ, to live out a Christ-like life, to show them what it means to be a child of God, so that as they see our godliness, our Christ-likeness, our compassion, and our love, they might actually come to salvation. But if we hate them instead, if we show disdain towards them, we have just eliminated any possible chance that they might come to salvation. We push them further away from God than we could ever draw them to the Lord. So what are we doing in life? Are we showing love towards those who hate us, our enemies? Or are we showing hatred, disdain? Are we drawing them to Christ? Or are we pushing them away from Christ? That's really what Jesus is saying here. We must show love towards our enemies. Now, there's a lot of different words for love, especially in the Greek language. There's the phileo love, which is brotherly love. There is uh, the eros love, which is uh, uh, a love of relationships. And then there is agape love, which is God's love unconditional love. And that's the type of love that Jesus is speaking of here. Agape love. Here's the difference between that love and brotherly love. Brotherly love means I love you because you love me. We are kindred spirits. We like each other. We can love each other. Agape love means I love you even though. It is a choice love you will probably never feel like loving a person who hates you. But with agape love, you choose to love that person. It is a love of action, not a love of feelings or emotions. So Jesus is saying that we are to love our enemies. But he goes on and adds to that. And pray for those who persecute you. Now, I've done messages that focus on prayer. I've written uh, studies on prayer. Y'all been exposed to the power of prayer for over eight years that I've been here. I believe in the power of prayer, and I pray that you do too. What Jesus is saying is there is a powerful tool that he is giving us that can change the life of our enemies. First is love showing that agape, unconditional love towards them, but also pray for those even as they persecute you. Even as they, as they intentionally do evil towards you, pray for them. Why? What does prayer do? Is prayer just, well, God, I just kind of hope that you do something? No. Prayer is believing that God is doing something that God will fulfill His Word. What does God's Word say? That God so loved the world, the world, everyone, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's what God wants. He wants to share His love 
He says in Romans 5, 8, that he demonstrated his love like this, in that Jesus died for all, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us all. Yes, God is looking at those who are evil and persecute us and says, I died for them too. Even while they're still sinners, I died for them as well as you. So pray for them. Pray that the example that you're living out, the gospel that you share, the personal testimony that you share, that whatever it is that you're showing Christ-like towards them, that the Holy Spirit will take that and draw them towards salvation. Now, according to the Word of God, when the Word of God is shared, then the Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and strives to implant it into the hearts and minds of those who hear it and to draw them to salvation, to draw them towards God. Now, not everybody allows God to do that. They can reject God if they so choose. But let me ask you something. If we don't show godly love towards our enemies, if we don't pray for those who are purposefully, intentionally harming us, what possible chance is there for them to come to salvation? Pretty much none. So here's Jesus saying, I want you to be me. I want you to be Christ to them. I want you to show an unconditional compassion towards them in their sinfulness. Why do I want you to do that? Because that's exactly what I did for you. I showed my unconditional compassion towards you, a sinner, and saved you from your sinfulness and gave you eternal life. That's what I want you to do in my name towards them. So Jesus is making it very clear don't hate your enemy, love them, and pray for them. Verse 45 says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So we just earned our salvation, right? No. We know from too many passages of scriptures that we cannot earn our salvation. What Jesus is saying is that as we show Christ towards others, as we allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in us and through us, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, we are showing Christ, and we are showing our relationship with Christ, which means that we are sons of God. So we look and we see that Jesus is very serious about his law. The laws that God gave thousands of years ago, they're still in place today, and they have never changed, and they never will. So then he says, here's the way I look at it. Here's the way God's been doing it since the creation of time. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, can you imagine waking up one day and the sun only beams in little bit spaces over those who are righteous in God's eyes, those who are good people? Well, if you are really honest with yourself, the sun wouldn't shine. You know why? I'm a sinner and you are too. None of us are good. Even in our own righteousness, God says, your righteousness is as filthy rags to me. It is only my righteousness that covers you, that fills you through my spirit, that allows you to be good in my eyes. So God says, the sun's going to shine 
wherever I deem it to shine, on the good as well as the evil. There's no difference. You're both sinners. You both need it. There's a purpose for my son to shine, S-U-N, by the way, to shine on this earth, and I choose when and where it's going to shine. Same thing. And he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Any difference? In the where Jesus was preaching this, it's a very arid area. They had two different seasons of rain where if it didn't rain, they would not have any crops. And so they're very dependent on those two seasons of rain. Can you imagine that God only allowed the rain to fall on, say, Jerusalem or some little area where there's a cluster of Christians, but he didn't allow the rain to, to fall on the pagan nations? Well, the pagan nations, the pagan people, the unrighteous would basically say, all I see is the wrath of God. I don't see any love. I don't see anything drawing me towards Him. If anything, I'm just being thrown away. I'm of no, no worth to Him. Instead, Jesus is saying, no, love them. Pray for them. Show the love of Christ because that's what God wants us to do. And He does it in the simple things of letting the sun shine on the good and the evil and the rain to fall on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. Then he goes on and starts telling us that, you know, you need to be different from the rest of the world. If you're a child of God, there should be something different about you than the rest of the world. He says, for if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Now, how many of us are guilty of that? We're only going to return love to those who have shown love towards us. Nobody else deserves our love. What does he say? Do not even the tax collectors do that? Look in your Bible. Look at the top of the page. What book of the Bible are we preaching out of today? Matthew. Do you remember where Jesus found Matthew when he invited him to come follow me? He was sitting at the tax collector's table. He was a tax collector. If anything, Matthew knew exactly what Jesus was saying. When Matthew was nothing but a tax collector, he was an outcast of all Judaism. Why is that? Because he was a Jew, first of all, and he sold himself to Rome to be a tax collector. He was being hired by Rome to take the taxes from the Jewish people and give them to the Roman government, and Rome allowed him to actually tax more than they required so that anything above what he had to give to Rome, he could put in his own pockets. Uh, they, that was called a sellout. He was enemy of the Jews because he sold his soul to Rome. Jesus kind of pointed that out, knowing who was recording this sermon that he was preaching. He said, Matthew, you know what I'm talking about. You used to be like that. You used to only love those who could possibly love you, and that wasn't too many people. He says, if we only love those who love us, then we're putting ourselves in the worst category of mankind. If you greet only your brother, verse 47, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do this? 
The Gentiles was basically another word for non-Jew, which basically was another word for a pagan. Now, the Gentiles had become, were becoming Christians, so that's kind of a misnomer. Uh, by using that term, it usually referred to someone who was a pagan, a non-believer. So he's saying, if you only greet your brothers, your brothers, people just like you, other fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, what more are you doing than others? For even the pagans do that. They, they're welcoming the people who are in their same category. So what we're looking at is Jesus saying, to be a child of God, we've got to be different than the rest of the world. We've got to show the love of Christ to anybody and everybody, regardless of who they are, regardless of whether they are, quote, our enemy, someone who does intentional evil towards us. We are still to love them regardless. I read a, a story about a, a missionary, and he was a part of an organization that they, they told him up front, if you're captured, if you're taken, if you're held for ransom, there is no money that's going to be paid for your ransom because if we paid a ransom for you, they would immediately start kidnapping all the other missionaries in the country and holding them for ransom, and it would be a never-ending battle. So if that happens, unfortunately, you're on your own. Well, sure enough, he was taken captive by a group of bad people in that country, and they began trying to find ways to get some money out of him. Well, his organization did all they could to, to slow down the process, hopefully finding out where he might be, where maybe a rescue could be uh, mounted, or maybe even give him time to escape. But here's what happened in that missionary's heart. He had compassion for his captors. They allowed him to write a letter to his wife, hoping that maybe that would spur her to find ways to raise money for his ransom. Instead, he said, I love you. Yes, I fear for my life. I have a greater fear for the souls of these men who are holding me captive. And each day, he would have different guards guarding him, and each day he would befriend them, show love towards them, ask about their families, pray for them, and over time they began seeing this is a good man. And when the negotiations fell through, they said, we can't kill you face to face. We're going to have to wait till you go to sleep and kill you in your sleep. So every night he would try to go to sleep and he'd hear somebody come in. And they would part the mosquito netting and a rifle would be pointed at his head, and every time they would walk away, they couldn't pull the trigger because he had shared the love of Christ with them and loved them unconditionally. They finally said, we can't kill you, and they released him. Now, folks, this one man who had all the right in the world to hate these men, to show spite towards them, to do anything and everything to kill them, for his own livelihood and safety, chose instead, no, I will die sharing Christ with them. I will die showing the love of Christ. And instead, God changed the hearts of those captives.
Isn't that what this is talking about? That God can change the lives of others. But how does he do it? Well, does he just send a little zap over here and a zap over there and say, okay, you're now going to be a follower of Christ. You're going to be a follower of Christ. You have no control over that. No. He uses us, his ambassadors, to share his love with the world around us, especially those who spite us, especially those who hate us, especially those who persecute us. If we're not sharing the love of Christ with those, then we're no better than a tax collector, the worst of the worst in the world. So God is sharing with us that we need to be followers of Christ. And then he gives us a command that we shake our head at and say, can't do it. Look at verse 48. Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do I hear, see a show of hands of anybody in here who's perfect? None of us, right? We're all sinners. Not a single one of us is perfect. So how in the world can he expect us to be perfect? Simple formula. A promise of God found in 1 John 1, 9. You've heard it thousands of times. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and righteous and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And as He does so through the Holy Spirit that lives in us, He places the righteousness of Christ on us and in us. Not only just God living with us, but God living in us. If God is living in us and we're living surrendered lives to the Lord, then we are considered perfect in His eyes. So when I quote 1 John 1, 9, that He not only forgives us of our sins, but He cleanses us of our unrighteousness, He immediately makes us pure and holy in His sight because there is no longer sin. Any sin that was there is now covered over, and when God looks at us, He no longer sees our sinfulness. He sees the righteousness of Christ. So that means that we must live according to His will. We must live in obedience to His Word. We must live surrendered lives to His Spirit working in and through us. And as we do, that is when we are perfect in His life. When he sees us, he sees us as perfect, not as sinners. Because he sees the righteousness of Christ instead of our sins. Isn't that amazing? That's what God does for us. That's what God wants to do for our enemies. That's what God wants to do for those who are persecuting us, intentionally causing harm towards us. Now, let's be honest. In making Mississippi... How many are you truly being persecuted? Really persecuted? Probably none of us. Not to any major degree anyway. So we may find it hard to even think about being persecuted. But you know, we still have our own enemies. People who are not like us. People who aren't in this room today. People who are not in another church that we consider to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're different from us. They think different. They act different. They're, their mindset's different. Their heart's different. How can I love them? Same way Jesus did. When that Samaritan woman 
came to that well. She'd been married multiple times, and the person she was with was not her husband. She's living in sin is what we call. Jesus could have said, you need to get away from me. You're just a filthy sinner. You don't have anything to do with me. But instead, he showed compassion towards her, showed her the way of salvation. And she went back to her village and said, you've got to come see this man. He knew everything about me. Could this possibly be the Messiah? Well, what are we doing in life? We may not have a well to go to to meet somebody that's living in a, a life that's not fit in our category. But God wants us to love all people, no matter what their stage in life is. What we share with them is the most powerful gospel that they'll ever hear. When they see us reaching out with love and compassion, forgiveness, mercy, grace, they will see Christ living in us and through us. And it is then that we will be fulfilling the law of God. See, Jesus repeated the law of God, not just the letter, but the Spirit. And He wants us to fill it with our hearts, being filled with His Spirit. If His Spirit is in us and working through us, we will fulfill this law. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, we are all so guilty of sin. But we're also guilty of holding grudges against those who do something bad towards us. It may not even be evil, it may just be bad. Lord, we are so earthly-minded. Lord, we want to seek revenge, we want to seek justice. Lord, you want us to show love, mercy, compassion, grace, forgiveness. Lord, First of all, let's confess before you our sinfulness. For Lord, we are sinners. Lord, we trust that you will forgive us of our sins. That you will cleanse us of our unrighteousness. That you will empower us to surrender to your Spirit living in us and through us. So that we might live righteous lives so that we might do that good, acceptable, and perfect will that you have for us. Lord, part of that will is to minister to those around us and not to see anybody as any different than us. We are all sinners. And Lord, we all need your saving grace. May we be your ambassadors. May we be your witnesses to share the love of Christ with those who desperately need it. And Lord, we will just trust that as they hear it, that your Holy Spirit will take what they hear and that they will be drawn to the loving, saving grace of Christ. And their lives will be transformed like ours have been. Lord, it's not easy for us to obey this commandment. So Lord, we're still human beings. We still have human flesh desires. Lord, we just pray right now that you will open our hearts anew, help us to surrender anew, so that it's not us being in control of our thoughts and desires, but it's you. And then use us, Lord, to share that love, 
with those who desperately need it, those who would normally be considered our enemy, those who may even purposefully want to cause us harm. May we share the love of Christ in whatever way possible and pray for them so that you will have the greatest opportunity to change and transform their lives from one that is lost to one that is saved. Use us, Lord. Prepare us as we leave this place to allow you to work in us and through us to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.